Welcome to the Faith Forward podcast series. Faith Forward is a grassroots network dedicated to bringing together leaders of ministry with children, youth, and families for collaboration, resourcing, and inspiration toward innovative theology and practice. Through this series, we'll learn from creative, forward-thinking leaders who are pushing the boundaries and reimagining what it means to follow Jesus' way of love and justice today. Join us as we instigate a revolution of hope in our world. Hello, and welcome to the Faith Forward podcast series. I'm Dave Sinis, and I'm excited uh, because my guest today is Robin Henderson Espinoza. Robin is a theologian, an ethicist, an activist, and uh, just an all-around amazing person who's also the author of the new book, Activist Theology, which you should definitely check out. Um, Welcome, Robin. Thanks so much. It's good to be here. One of the things I love about your book is how grounded it is in the uh, the lived experience of your own story. So yeah. I'd love to to start there and kind of go back to your childhood and your adolescence. And so can you tell us a little bit about how those years were formative in your own journey toward becoming uh, a theologian and an activist? Sure. Uh, you know, I I was in church from the time that I can remember being in church and being in faith community. And, you know, I want to, I want to say that that is really what made me want to become a theologian is I was asking the big questions. Mm -hmm. Um, I was in Catholic school growing up and, and, my mom at the time, who's a Mexican woman, and my dad is a, a was a white man, and therefore I'm a mixed race Latinx. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom enrolled me in Catholic school, and I didn't make my first communion because I had questions about the virgin birth. I didn't understand it. Right. And it was a big, big to do. the The head nun came to my mom's work and. Um, was very concerned that I wasn't taking First Communion. And I happened to be at work, at my mom's work that day. Mm-hmm. And my mom said, well, Robin is here. Just ask Robin why they don't want to take First Communion. And so really that that incident really set the stage for my ongoing questions and questioning. Um I talk a little bit about this in the book about how my dad had undocumented workers working his land mm-hmm. and they were from Mexico and, you know, he had once married a Mexican, had fathered a mixed race, Latinx, Mexican American child, myself. And, you know, these were moral questions that, that I held in my heart that something didn't feel right about it. And, I was going to church at the time, um, but you really couldn't ask these questions at church. Um, and so really my, my faith formation when I was a kid, all throughout adolescence, and, and I, I really, you know, I had a real conversion experience um, as an adolescent and also as a child. Um, I, there, there is a sense of turning away from um, what I perceive to be bad theology. I, I mean, I wouldn't, 
I wasn't using that language then, but as an adult, as I look back on it, I was turning away from what was toxic theology and killing people. And, right. And that was like the patriarchy and um, not affirming women in ministry or not affirming LGBT people um, as, a, as a queer and trans person myself. Um, mm-hmm. And even as a child, before I had language to even say, oh, that, that's actually who I am. I was advocating for those who were displaced. And I want to say that I learned that from reading scripture. Scripture still plays an important role in my life. You know, I'm, I have a PhD in theology, and so I, I read the Bible as a theologian, not as a historian or as, mm-hmm. a, or as a biblical scholar. But I read it as a theologian, and I read it as an activist. Um, and, and I want to say that my being in church for all the years that I was in church um, has brought me to this place of continual repentance and turning away from that which is death bringing mm-hmm. um, so that we can have new life. Um, and, I, and had it not been for the faith formation of my childhood, I don't know that I would be here in this place. It, it really um, kind of strikes me that when you said, I, I read the Bible as a theologian, because I think in my experience, the way a lot of folks, well-meaning folks, um, offer the Bible to young people is as an answer book. Right. And there, there's not life in an answer book. Right. Um, no one goes to Google because it's a great story. Uh, right. It's because we want answers. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, so how do you think we, we can help young people uh, read the Bible in, in different lenses, you know, read the Bible through as people of faith rather than as people looking for, for answers? Well, I, I think one thing we need to think about is, um, and I, I just recently watched this film um, last night, in fact, about the, the real divide in the Christian faith. Mm. On, on the one hand, you have people who advocate for violence because that's what they read in the Bible. Um, and on the other hand, you have people who, who say, no, violence is a result of our, our sinful ways, to use that language. Yeah. And actually, um, God, the divine, the stories that we read in the Bible actually don't advocate for violence. And in fact, when we get to the New Testament and we get to the crucifixion of Jesus, it's a co-suffering of God in the mm. cross. And, and, and it's not Jesus's blood that saves us, but it's, it's, it's God becoming human, reminding us that we should live this life of, of unity. And, and that is what drives Jesus to the cross, a state sponsored execution, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think we need to be teaching young people how to understand culture and their faith. And, mm-hmm. and, and I also think we need to not pay so close attention to doctrine and dogma because that is what's created such division and violence in the mm-hmm. Christian faith. And I, I wish that we had a chance to, to really socialize our young people 
into a way of being that is theological and asking the questions um, that, that, they, that they keep in their heart. Because I know young people have questions in their heart. Mm-hmm. I know that they are holding questions in their heart. And we need to tend to those questions. But as a church, we have um, relied on dogma and doctrine and insisted that they ascend to a particular way of thought. Yeah. And that, that diminishes their imagination, and that doesn't allow them to ask questions. Um, it didn't for me, and I know it doesn't for kids now uh, or young mm-hmm. people now. So, It makes me think of this, this study I read a couple of years ago from St. Mary's Press. They interviewed Catholic, or I guess ex-Catholic teenagers who left the church, and um, at the end of the book, they, they put, it's, an, it's like an online survey. And so they put verbatim bad grammar and emojis and everything. Um, yeah. they, they put every response. And this is not a Catholic thing. This is a, a church thing. But, but I think this project um, really made it clear that a, a lot of people indicated they left because they had questions or they had doubts. Uh-huh. And, and they felt like, well, people in church are, you know, if you have doubts, you don't belong there. If you have questions, you don't belong there, right? It's because there's this focus in church on the answers. Right. And um, it makes me think that, you know, if, if young people feel like they have to leave because they have questions and doubts, then what we are left with is a community of answers. And so you kind of perpetuate the problem generation to generation because the, you know, who's left to, to say, your doubts are okay. Your questions are okay, right. even though we all have them. Right. I, I know. I think that's why. <laughs> I mean, it's that common thing of people who say uh, they they don't want to be involved with with children or teenagers in church because they ask questions. questions. And, yeah. yeah, exactly. And yeah. what if I don't know the answer? And I'm always like, well, the, if you don't know the answer, that's the best. That's the best part. Lean into it. Yeah, that is the place of imagination. And you know, I want to think that when Jesus was gathering his disciples, um, it was about, it was about, Hey, come share a life with me. I don't know mm-hmm. what that looks like. Um, that might cost me my life, but come share this common life with me. Um, and the church doesn't preach that message. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's unfortunate. How do you think that the, the importance of imagination is bound up with uh, the life of activism? Well, I think, I think to be a good activist, um, it requires imagination because we want to imagine another possible world. Mm. And I think that in order to do the kind of work that activism requires, we have to have an imagination. It makes me think, you know, young people are naturally curious and imaginative. It makes me think of the young people who really are guiding us um, in doing activist work these days. So yeah, uh, folks like the students from Stoneman Douglas High School in Florida um, who are holding our feet to the fire on, on issues of gun violence and yep. people like Greta Thunberg and Autumn Peltier who are rebuking our systems that, that are threatening the, the future of our whole planet. So how do you think that we who are adults ought, uh, you know, what, what ought we do when we're faced with the reality that it's the young people themselves who are leading many of the fights against injustices in our world? Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm in my early 40s, and I think that if we don't come together with lines of radical difference, and that includes age, mm-hmm. 
we, we won't survive ourselves. And so we need to be paying attention to the youngest of the youngest as we pay attention to the oldest of the oldest. Mm-hmm. We need these intergenerational movements to, to help create a just world. Um, we need a diversity of tactics. And I think that one of the things that I think that we all fall prey to is that we get into our little bubbles and we, it's only the, it's the same three or four or five people who, who get airtime and we need to dismantle that to allow for the proliferation of voices so that we can get, so, so that the table is large enough for all of us really. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And we need to really get out of this mindset that it's only experts, whatever an expert is, but it's only people with higher advanced degrees get airtime. That's actually um, the logic of dominance. And, and we're using the same logic as, as what we're trying to fight against with to try to fight it. And I'm, and I'm like, that's not the way of the future. That's not the way of the now. Yeah. So, so how do we, and see, it's, it's interesting. A, a lot of the, the, the young at- activists who are getting airtime, I mean, and they are fighting for airtime and they are against the odds. Um, they are not necessarily part of, of, uh, part of Christian movements. Right. Um, so what do you think the, the, the church, like what's the, the, the theological role there in partnering with them? Well, I, you know, I'm not a purist in any sense. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that, um, I, I'm trained as a Christian theologian. I'm, I'm in, I'm indebted and embedded in that discourse and it speaks to me. But when I'm with my Muslim friends, my Hindu friends, I believe that they are fully human and mm-hmm. they are following a path that, that speaks to them. And so I, I am um, more than just friendly to interreligious dialogue. I answer it that way because as Christian people, we need to know how to be global citizens. And if we, if we demand that there always be Christian privilege or Christian dominance, or as my comrade Alba Onofrio says, Christian supremacy, then we are going to perpetuate the violence that we see, the violence to the land, to the environment, to our people. Um, so I think the church and Christians, we need cultural voices because there is, there is good theology wrapped up in the cultural voices. And, and when, when we think back to some of our, in some of our history, Christianity bubbled up as a particular cultural expression. Yeah. Um, now, of course, we have wedded it to empire post-Constantine, um, but we need to remember that this was a cultural movement. And so if we think that we are inoculated from culture, mm-hmm. that's, that's bad theology. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that leads to the, the arrogance of Christianity that we have the edge on God somehow. That's right. That's right. So young people are, are kind of leading the way on some of these issues. Um, and thank God for that they're also caught up in many of the social injustices in our world today. And I feel like this is, 
what's new in, in our airtime are the young people becoming, you know, leaders of the movements themselves. Um, I feel like the, the idea of young people as victims is more part of the dominant narrative that we're, right. that we're told, right. but, but it's a reality, right? Like they're the victims of gun violence in schools. They're the ones being torn from their families and locked in cages. Um, they're the ones that, you know, are seen as, as culpable for issues and problems that, mm-hmm. that really they have nothing to do with. So, mm-hmm. so I'm wondering what you make of all of this in terms of, um, uh, your work in, in activism and theology? The reality is that we are all victimized by the violence of this culture in different ways. And young people, it seems to me that they are carrying the brunt of this violence with the mass shootings at schools um, or at theaters. Um, and so I really have to ask the question, um, this like do do we want the flourishing of all people or do we or do we just want to continue traumatizing those who are at both ends of the life spectrum because Mm -hmm. it seems to me that's what we're doing what whether it is we're not providing health care access for all Mm -hmm. um and and that severely impacts older folks um or are we going to continue to um, to traumatize young people in our school systems or 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 other places where where they might congregate? And and it's it's a question of flourishing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to try to flip it and and try to and try to be more affirmative. Um, because we can go down the rabbit hole of um, how do we deal with the victimization and how do we remove the trauma. I want to ask the question, do we actually want people to flourish? And if we do, what type of theology requires that? So what kind of things have you found then? What, what are the, uh, the elements of a, theolo- of a theology that helps us answer the question, do we want people to flourish with a yes? Well, I think it it points back to my book uh, around returning to our roots and Mm. returning to our stories and restoring ourselves and really, really coming to understand the stories that we've come from and where we're going because Mm -hmm. we all have pain and hurt and, and we all want belonging. And so how do our stories help point us toward deeper contours of belonging? Mm-hmm. And how do we find the folds of connection to, to create conditions for that belonging? That's found in story. Uh, that's why I wrote the book that I did. Because at the end of the day, I want us to flourish, not as a Christian-dominant country or world, um, but as global citizens who radically care for one another and who, and who can imagine the politics of radical difference. And I think without an imagination for the politics of radical difference, we fall into these black holes of what well, must be one way or no way, and it must be Christian dominance, and it must be a particular kind of Christianity. And I think that's harmful and toxic, and it ends up killing people. 
And I think these, these, all these elements that you've said, um, relationship, story, imagination, these are natural aspects of who we are as human beings. And, right. and especially, you know, seen in, uh, in, in children and young people, right. Who, right. who learn stories and then gradually like adolescence, is really this time of learning your own story, learning who mm-hmm. you are and how to tell your story and, mm-hmm. and, and what your story really is. Yeah. Um, and then gradually, you know, we, we, as you've said, like this, this society, this system that we're in, it kind of sucks the imagination out and severs relationships and turns story into facts. And so the return to a theology of, of, of activism to me is very much caught up with a return to a, a theology um, that is more perceptible that's more uh, it's easier to see in young people because it's more right. part of who of who we are as human beings and not who we are as cultural or societal right right and i think we forget we forget um that we're all human you know we have mm-hmm. so um villainized people and we need to remember that we're, we're actually all human we have we we have a shared humanity and so how do we create a common life of public good from that shared humanity yeah and that requires imagination and and storytelling at one of our early faith forward gatherings we had rabbi uh, sandy sasso come she's a great children's author and she talked about how you know first we have an experience of god and then we tell the story of that experience and then we enact that story through liturgy and then we theologize that litur- liturgy into doctrine yeah. Yeah, and she says if we want our children to be close to God, you know, story is the closest thing to the experience, not doctrine. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. I agree, and I and I know people teach doctrine. I just was with um, a guy who teaches at at um, Wheaton College mm-hmm. um, outside of Chicago, and I'm sure he's much more conservative than I am, um, and yet because he and I both have an interest in the shared common life of mm-hmm. Christianity, we were able to come together. Now he will privilege doctrine over lived experience. I'm going to privilege, privilege lived experience, but we found a way to be connected. And if we can foster those moments of connection and togetherness, what in Spanish, my people call being in conjunto, we, we might be able to, create the runway for this type of imaginative life. But until we divest from the, the need to, to know what everyone believes and until we start living our politics and in generative ways and in generous ways, mm-hmm. I don't think that we will achieve the kind of humanity that we all want to see. And that's why, we need the imagination. We need the hope. Yeah. Um, well, this has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you for, for joining us and for sharing um, your, your brilliant insights and your story. Oh, thank uh, you so much. If you uh, want to know more, and I hope you do, uh, check out Robin's book, Activist Theology. Thanks for tuning in to the Faith Forward podcast series. 
If you want to learn more from creative thinkers and innovative leaders, be sure to subscribe or visit faith-forward.net.